Welcome to episode one of Conversations with Neighbors. My name is Huda Teob, and in this first podcast, I talk to Jumoke Sanwo, based in Lagos, Nigeria, and Ali Al Adawi, based in Alexandria, Egypt. Jumoke is a storyteller, cultural interlocutor, and creative director of Revolving Art Incubator. My interest in archives stems from the fact that I, I'm very much actively involved in the production of now. Uh, and I also understand that without some inkling of the past, uh, you cannot have a foundation to produce the now. Ali is a curator, researcher, editor and writer. He is one of the founders of Tripod, an online magazine for film and moving images. I think always that archives is something related to future more than the past. And actually how to emancipate future from the hegemony of the past. This conversation points to archives as an imaginary space of possibility, raising questions around the place of performance and the body, and the epistemological implications of engaging with the untranslatable and opaque. We ponder on the Yoruba word for archive, reflect on the music and lyrics of Alexandrian rapper Weggs, discuss the work of Jalili Atiku, and question the implications of the Arabic translation of Thomas Mofolo's novel Chaka, under Nasser's rule in Egypt. Let's move on to the conversation. Thank you so much, Jumoke and Ali, for joining this conversation today. I thought perhaps we could start today with a general introduction of the kind of work that you do and ask you to share some insights into how you first became interested in working with archives. What do archives mean to you in the respective contexts in which you're working? Jumoke, maybe we can start with you? Uh, thank you very much, Uda. Through research, I understood that there exists a lot of absences within uh, our canon of history. I understand that, you know, I live in what is typified as uh, the Global South, uh, and that within that uh, context of Global South, I also have, you know, some sort of colonial baggage, you know, which comes with our history of dispossession, uh, and that, you know, part of that dispossession was also in terms of knowledge and history. Uh, and the fact that to be able to engage uh, constructively within the now, I also have to think more about confronting history, but then also actively in my process of producing now to think more also about the future as well. And that's what got me interested uh, in archives. And, and also I'm thinking also around the concept of alternative knowledge, because I also understand that when you're thinking about knowledge, that also has you know some sort of uh, limitation because a lot of the time when you think about knowledge, you're thinking more from the prism of modern Western thinking, you know, and how there's a lot of division in terms of social realities. And some of the things that I think uh, is necessary or adds, you know, to my uh, understanding of my context uh, is not admissible when you're thinking about modern Western thinking. So those are some of the things that got me interested in archives. Thank you so much, Chimoke. Ali, could we ask you to share your thoughts on this? Yeah. My work uh, mainly interested in the relationship between cinema and uh, contemporary art practices. And my relationship to archives came from that. I'm working since more than uh, six years now in an art space, which was from the previous century, from 70s to 60s a film distribution company which is called Behna Film Selections and now 
we work uh, through it, through the space. It's as as an art space uh, called we call it Behna, and its its main interest is in cinema and archives and uh, contemporary art practices, uh, alternative education. Since the film industry started in Egypt in the 19th century, when Lumiere process came on the first port of Egypt, which is Alexandria, and this was in the late years of the 19th century, and we had the first uh, film screening in, in Egypt. And uh, then the whole film industry started, and uh, as my interest is so much related to cinema, and to archives and how we we always uh, when we dig in archives which is in a way also uh, an institutional term there is always a certain power want to control these archives because once you go dig more in the archives you could find always the coming different powers that it's dominating archives want to keep this archive from uh, people try to find different approaches to anticipate present and future uh, from archives. Because of this, uh, I am thinking of this maybe ab an abstract meaning of archives, which is it has this imaginary space of, of possible, that it could have all the what could be possible out of the human mind and out of the human experience, uh, which is in especially in art and cultural production always a material that we could start from even its documents or films or whatever any any kind of activity any kind of human activity to start from it to uh, to to make something more critical more anticipated for our future and present this definition of the archive i'm taking it from from the work of an egyptian artist hassan khan he in different works, uh, introduce this uh, this uh, meaning of archive as as an imaginary space of the possible. Thank you so much, Ali. I think that's it's really interesting to think about the archive as the imaginary space of possibility. And I wondered maybe if we could go back to you, Jamoke, and if you could tell us a bit about the meaning of archive in the Yoruba language. So archive in Yoruba language translates to itoju. And itoju means to care, you know, to, to hold. And that's pretty much, you know, the meaning of archive in, in Yoruba language. But I'm also thinking about that in context with the relation of Yorubas, you know, to the concept of time. Uh, there's a bit of a complexity in how the Yorubas engage time. Uh, on one hand, you know, they, they believe there's a circularity to time. Uh, there's also that uh, thinking about time in terms of events. So when you're thinking about the future, uh, you think about the future that is always present in the now, uh, and that when you're thinking about knowledge as well, you're thinking about what is being produced now, uh, which would be necessary you know, for the future. So when you think about the concept of archive and you're thinking about uh, how you know, the Yorubas also think about time, uh, it's related to the fact that you can only relate to things that are produced in the now. Uh, and the now is like ever present, and now is like the most relevant aspect of time because now is related to the future. Uh, so those are some of the things that you know is very uh, interesting about my relationship to archives as well because I think about that in terms of performance, you know, and I think about the performance is rooted uh, uh, in the concept of now because there's a 
an idea about the contemporariness of performance, which is it is rooted in the, in the in the present moment. It engages directly with the audience. Uh, there's that sort of loop in terms of you know the audience relationship, you know, with the artist or the performer, and that in itself also engages how you know you think about what what you keep, what you hold, you know, because within the performance, for example, uh, the audience takes away what they want to. Uh, they keep what they want to keep in terms of what is relevant to them, also relevant to the ideas that they already hold. Uh, and that in itself is kind of like what I'm thinking about in our relationship to archives. Because archives in itself, uh, when you think about the definition of it, is about uh, thinking about um, how, you know, a society, you know, coming together and looking at certain expressions, you know, customs, artistic expressions, and, and holding them and deciding on what to keep and what to hold. So therefore, when you think about archives, archives should, is not static. It is something that should evolve, should also, over time, you know, there's that element of movement, you know, that it's not based on certain things, you know, that each artist adds a certain element or a certain quality in the now to the archives of the future. Thank you so much, Jumoke. I think with this example, you're opening up Questions of how we think of archives as spaces of care or spaces to hold and where we entrust knowledge. But also by talking through performance, you're suggesting a different kind of audience interaction with an archive as really important to how the archive is received. I wondered if we could move back to Ali. And Ali, you've previously shared with us some thoughts on a music video released in mid-March by the Alexandrian rapper Wiggs. And the music video, which is titled Dorak Gai, went viral globally as the pandemic spread around the world with more than 46 million views. So in describing this, you mentioned your interest in how the song is based on the localized lyrics inspired by Wiggs's dialect of Alwedian, an old working class neighborhood in the west of Alexandria where he still lives. And I wondered if you could talk a bit more to your interest in this piece in relation to questions of translation and untranslatability perhaps questions of audience and performance, which Jumoke has just raised, and what happens when this piece goes global in a language that most viewers won't understand. What interests me in the music video Dorgai by Wiggs, that it's, as you mentioned, in the beginning of the pandemic, in March, in, by mid-March, he made this, uh, this music video, and it went throughout uh, months till now that it has this millions of views and most of the audiences that I know from uh, the uh, different Arab region, not from Egypt or even uh, from other countries, not in the Arab regions, in Europe and Africa and different spaces, really enjoyed the music production, which is something very important in the piece, but it's because it has, in a way, a reference for them in the different music productions related to rap, especially Arab rap, that it's maybe coming from originally coming from different parts of the Arab world, from North Africa, from Palestine and Jordan and different places, but it has even more global reference of the uh, music production of rap. But they, most of them, from people from the same neighborhood of Wigs and from Alexandria, from different parts, they didn't get the lyrics. They didn't get totally the lyrics. And what we could also follow in the, in the music production of the 
of the video and the clear lyrics of, of the obvious lyrics of the music video that it's uh, it's in a way a death uh, a death song which is a tradition in the rapper that it's we when rappers always have these fights and he is trying in this music to make a death song uh, uh, in response to another film star that he is singing for the thing that he is singing and he took uh, he took an advertisement to make this adver uh, advertisement instead of him for this layer of uh, masculine fights is part also of this music video and i think it's something essential about the rap culture and rap scene but what really interests me people enjoyed this masculinity fights and they they enjoy the musical reference but they don't get really don't get the the lyrics which is i cannot say that it's something specific for his neighborhood for Wardian in Alexandria or for Alexandria, the dialect in Alexandria. But it's something more, it's something more subjective related to his way of performance of these lyrics, his way of composing and writing these lyrics. And if it has something of authorial intervention that it, he is as an author, as an author of, of very performative, very subjective lyrics of uh, thinking of using different words from global and local and global in a local way and to put uh, Kafka, Franz Kafka as a reference and uh, Nesquik which is the brand for uh, chocolate uh, that it's also uh, a part of building these lyrics and the whole total this is something that you cannot translate, you cannot easily get it even if you are speaking Arabic and this for the thing is that what I'm thinking of, that it's good viral and that it in translation, that it's people have a reference of the music, reference of the masculinity fights of the rap, but they don't, this part, which is not transpilatin, which it has this production uh, specificity of Wigs himself, that he put something very subjective and something very, authorial from his artistic intervention that it has also uh, different layers to understand it and to to make a relation to uh, that reminds me of this idea of uh, untranspability that it's uh, Abdel Fattah Kirito, the, the Moroccan literary theorist when he was thinking about the Arab poetry for example and Arabs could translate uh, for example the European Thought, but they don't translate poetry and they don't like their poetry to be translated because there is a real something very subjective, something in the relation to language cannot be translated. And this also reminds me that in, in the language that it has a, a certain specificity of production and that really reminds me of thinking of Chaka, that it's the, the novel by Thomas Movulu, that it's he do it in his local language. And when it's translated into English, it's also become very well known as a novel. But he's trying to tackle here a, a kind of a storytelling of an epic story of uh, Zulu, the Chaka leader, emperor, and this. And when it's translated to English, it, it always has the colonial reference, which is in his writing, in his in his local language, it has a total different reference and total different layers. 
Thank you so much, Ali. So, yeah, I think you're raising these questions of the impossibility of translation of certain local languages, practices and ways of being. Yet despite this inability of certain meanings to travel, um, both of these examples suggest that there is something in the form of the music or the novel that enables it to move beyond its linguistic borders to reach varied and diverse audiences. So for me, this brings up two questions relating to forms of production and questions on opacity. Um, and I think also the position of the body in what you're talking about is a bodily performance, a performance of masculinity. So Jumoke, I was wondering if you could reflect further on these questions. Earlier in the conversation, you mentioned the potential of performance as a way of thinking of archives, of remembering, but also the importance of forgetting. I'm curious to hear more of your thoughts on this and the relationship to time and the body in time where the past and the future are present in the now. Uh, thank you very much, Uda. I think I'm going to start you know, from um, a quote from uh, the late Nigerian novelist, uh, Chino Achebe, who had actually, you know, you know, it, it referenced the fact that artists are connected to their community, but not just the community of humans, but community of ancestors, uh, nature, uh, and that they also exist in the in-betweenness of society, where everything is kind of like part of a whole. So when I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about also what, uh, what Ventura de Sosa has also said as well about, you know, the abyssal line, you know, that exists in the society and how oftentimes, you know, artists actually tore this line. Uh, you know, they exist, you know, in the in-betweenness of society. And therefore, you know, they are the ones that are able to actually, you know, through uh, interlocution of unstructured spaces, of knowledge, uh, they then begin to kind of like dig deep into the phenomenology of the now. When I'm thinking about, you know, performance, for example, in the case of uh, Janili Asiko, you know, I'm also thinking about the fact that, you know, sometimes uh, when you're thinking about the body in the sense of, uh, uh, the body is not just of the present, the body also has some sort of memory attached to it as well. Uh, you know, and those memories could be, you know, of an ancestor, it could be of a community, uh, and so when that body is then utilized, you know, as a tool in performance, it carries, you know, some of this knowledge, you know, to which it embodies uh, and then also translates, you know, through artistic expression. So when I'm thinking about the work of Delili Atiku, for example, uh, Delili uh, not only works within the community in Ejigo, uh, he also, in a way, uh, embodies, you know, traditional uh, religious practices, you know, is an ulosha, you know, is actually also practices, you know, uh, Yemoja, which is like uh, the goddess of the river as well, you know, is, 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 a, is, a, is a devotee, you know, of the Yemoja. And he carries, you know, all of this element of the traditional practices and transforms, you know, from a little community in Ejibo. Uh, it interacts, it serves like an in-betweenness between that community uh, and, you know, other parts, you know, of the divide, for example, in the city of Lagos. Uh, which is geographically divided into the island and the mainland, uh, that also, you know, is as a result of our colonial history as well. You know, when you're thinking about colonial territories, you're thinking about usually there's a divide, you know, between, uh, you know, the, the haves and the have-nots. And that's actually why you have that sort of like unstructured spaces like uh, the mainland and the island. So he transports that element from his community in Ejibo on the, on the mainland, onto, you know, spaces on the island, but also beyond. Uh, into international 
uh, spaces. You know, he's been at the Venice Biennale, he's traveled, he's been an associate professor at the Brown University, and he's able to take his performance, his body, you know, into the spaces and sort of like engage, you know, and serve as an interlocutor between imaginary divides between the global north and the south. So I think for me, I find, uh, in a way, this as a way to actually engage archives as well. Uh, in a way that, you know, there's a, there's an element of it that is, uh, comes with a certain level of history, but then also there's a presence, you know, that is interacting with spaces, interacting with knowledge, uh, interacting with alternative thinking, uh, and there's that idea of actually unpacking all of that and representing it. Uh, you know, as as uh, as an alternative knowledge, you know, space. Uh, 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 thank you, Jumoke. So, I think in in different ways, both of you, in talking about performance and the body, um, and these readings of archives through the novel or the artist, you both seem to be talking to the inevitability of having to deal with colonialism, but perhaps ways of looking beyond it and looking at archives beyond their absences. I wonder if you could both say a bit more on how we might listen, read, or understand archives differently, and what these practices might offer us uh, for working in the present for a different kind of future. I was thinking of the different ways of tackling and working on archives and what, what I call the radical aesthetics of working on, on archives. And this goes very well for, for me with the work of Kamil Jafari, that he always worked with uh, found footage or uh, film archives mainly. And he has uh, this uh, important film and beautiful film he did in 2015. I think that it's, his film is called A Recollection. And he's trying to collect a memory or recollect a memory of his hometown, Yafa. Uh, through the different film archives of uh, American and Israeli films. He's, he's a Palestinian filmmaker from Yafa and he's trying to recollect the memory of his hometown from hegemonic uh, film industry uh, or direct colonial film uh, archives. I mean the Israeli film archives that it's that it's uh, starting from 60s till 90s and he bring the film archives and take actually that take off the protagonist from the image remove erase the images of the protagonist from the from the films and keep the image of the city the image of the town the image of his town that it's also capture ghosts of his people he knows, his family, his grandfather, the ghosts of the Palestinian subject of his family living in his hometown. Here you could see this to bring his city as in also not to make it in the image which is in, in the background to take it in the foreground but also when you see it out of subjects, out of the protagonist, out of the film stars out of these people that it has this sense of a city under a certain trauma, under a catastrophe and you see this immateriality of the subject of the ghosts of the of the palestinian subjects in the image for, for 
that makes you recollect your own vision of this town under occupation or under uh, colonization. I find it very interesting as a way of working on archives, as what, what we could say also radical way of working of archives, and take it from the hegemonic culture production that they produce it to to actually determine to, to take it to a total different emancipatory uh, direction. Thank you, Ali. I think it's, it's really interesting because in a way you've taken us back to one of Jumoke's earliest comments, where she suggested that working with archives can be a way of confronting history uh, and confronting these kind of traumatic histories of the global South. And Jumoke, I wondered if you might uh, add a bit more on this theme of the marginal histories or stories which are not necessarily present in grand narratives and how the artist as interlocutor, which is how you described Jalili Atiku, for example, might help us rethink the position of art and art history on the continent. Uh, thank you, Huda. When I'm thinking about archives, you know, from that context, you know, I'm thinking about uh, the possibilities, you know, of coexistence uh, of social reality. Because I feel that, you know, within artistic archives, you know, you find this sort of like uh, dialectical thinking, you know, that allows, you know, for many possibilities and many uh, entry points and many points of view. I think that in itself, you know, so you don't have sort of like this grand divide. And I think uh, Venga Wanaina had actually alluded to this in 2014. Uh, when he was thinking about, you know, this idea of an African thought revolution, which is, you know, uh, a reimagination of African life, you know, outside of neocolonial categories. You know, so again, you know, so we are thinking about divisions along the lines of identity and power, uh, but to begin to think beyond all of this and think about ways to have uh, sort of like a non-judgment perspective of events, you know, that to allow things to come to life, which is something that you would find a lot in performance, you know, the they allowance, you know, of the emergence uh, of experiences uh, without actually having a prior, you know, uh, judgment or attaching, you know, some sort of baggage of its uh, historical connotation as well. So I think, in a way, when we're thinking about archives, you know, I think that is kind of like a direction to begin to think towards, you know, to shed uh, a lot of the baggage and to begin to think about archives as an opportunity to uncover things, you know, without, uh, you know, the authoring and the labeling uh, of experiences, uh, of people, of places, uh, which I think in a way we can have, we can gain a lot of examples from that true performance. Thank you, Jamoke. As a follow-on, I'm wondering if I could ask both of you to reflect further on the implications of translation and language in the work that you're talking to. Yeah, um, Chaka and other African literature, by late 50s, beginning of 60s, when you have this thinking of uh, Pan-Arabism and Pan-Africanism during the, the time of Nasserism, it has different aspects, mainly a political aspect, but also its cultural aspect. One of the good things, we start to know about the whole African cultural production during that time, because by the beginning of uh, Nasser in power uh, by mid of 50s and after uh, he started the nationalization project and he started to support the different national liberation and decolonization movements in Africa and they were having 
offices broadcasting radios from Cairo, and this has uh, its own complication. But one of the very good things that and the positive that comes of it that we started to know about the different African language. We started to know the different uh, African literatures and the different uh, uh, African cultural production. But Chaka, for example, it, it's translated from English as a novel to translate it to Arabic, which is and which was in a way a good question of we are really tackling uh, to really know the different cultural complications or cultural diversity in Africa that it's we need to know that if there is so much language and there is a reason that he writes in his own local language not in English and when you uh, read it and translate it from English it's totally different from trying to to reach the local languages and try to translate for from the local language and this and this was happening i think in a way even in the cultural production also that it still have a certain stereotypes related to the different african uh, cultural productions which in a way has an image in the political uh, direction that goes with nasser for me it was very promising in the beginning and then with the different movements of uh, of pan-Africanism, especially the Nasserism that he is putting himself as in the position of the leader of the Arab uh, region and the, in Africa, that it goes more for the power relations and in a way reintroducing and representing a colonial position related to other parts of Africa. Thank you, Ali. Jumoke, do you want to add anything? Um, well, I think I am thinking, um, you know, about the idea of an Africanism, you know, within the context of language, because I, I also, uh, I'm looking at the idea of transcending, you know, what is the current, you know, situation on the continent, which is the idea of the nation state. But then again, you know, when you, when I'm thinking more about that, I'm also thinking along the lines that, you know, what is the current, uh, because now we're thinking about the now, you know, we're thinking about what's going on now. There's, there's, all across Africa, you know, the calls, you know, at different sort of uh, levels for uh, a rethinking, you know, the cartography that split the continent into 56 units. Uh, there's a call, you know, to also revisit the ideas around the disappearance of local languages uh, and therefore in itself, uh, you know, this idea that, uh, you know, uh, a local language is considered, you know, the vernacular. So I'm thinking along those lines and I'm also thinking you know, this idea that, uh, you know, Janili Atiku actually engaged during, uh, in 2017 when he had a performance lecture, which is titled, you know, when Adai Krauser strikes, you know, the native footprints disappeared. Uh, and with that particular performance, he engaged, you know, this idea of omissions and appropriation and linguistic omissions and appropriation, uh, using, you know, sort of like the reference of uh, Samuel Ajayi Krauser, who was a linguist. Uh, uh, that act that translated the Bible uh, into Yoruba language, and in that sort of instance, uh, there was a there was an idea of appropriation which he did, which was he took the deity issue, which was like the highest uh, deity in Yoruba cosmology, uh, and equated it to the devil, uh, and that in itself, you know, sort of like decimated, you know, this uh, sort of like traditional uh, religious practice. You know, so I'm thinking, you know, along this line, and I'm, and I'm also thinking more that, you know, 
I don't have a clear view as to how this is going to, that we can engage, you know, this notion of an identity as an African without also not unpacking, you know, all of this many layers of either cartographic or linguistic omissions, you know, that have existed over centuries. Thank you, Jumoke. So my final question today is not so much a question, but a comment to invite closing thoughts and reflections. The title for this podcast, The Archive as a Portal of Reimagination, has come from both of your reflections on archives, art, and has some relation to the COVID-19 pandemic too. Earlier this year, Arundhati Roy described the coronavirus pandemic as a portal or gateway between one world and the next. Jumoke, you reflect on this to suggest the importance of thinking of archives, both as places of recollection and portals of reimagination, drawing out the intrinsic relationship between place and time, where place is associated with the past and space of the future. And Ali, today you've mentioned thinking of the archive as an imaginary space of possibility, drawing on the work of Hassan Khan, to suggest ways of confronting history, but also thinking through radical aesthetics. Do you have any further thoughts or reflections to share with us as closing comments? Okay, uh, I'm thinking of this as we start from the archives against the idea, against the concept of this, or even confronting with this concept of uh, the institution of the archives, the materiality of the archives, of the authority of a document, that it's also, it's not only the documents, that it's the institution of the archives, that I think that it's the problem with it, that it's also, it's not only own the document and materialize the archive and own it in a certain institution only, but it's also uh, wants to uh, enforce a certain interpretation, a certain imagination, a certain relationship to these documents. Even the documents is paper documents, film archives, any material, even uh, different activities. I'm thinking archives of reimagining that it's, we try to, to have a break of this concept of archives, the hazard of instituting archives and material of archives, that it's also enforcing a certain interpretation to the archives and and to make redistribute our senses, our feelings, our imagination, our ideas of the archive to build as as the the example I I put with Kamal Jafari and the other different related to state archives related to uh, colonial archives that it's try to start from the archives to dig inside the archives to reimagine a certain relationship that could have this to connect future to, to, to the past. So I'm thinking uh, further from, you know, my starting point, which is inspired by the article, you know, looking at, you know, the coronavirus and this period as in itself a portal, some sort of gateway, you know, between the old and the new world. And I'm looking now, I mean, I started looking at the idea of the dissolution, you know, of physicality, you know, and how over time, you know, there's sort of like that shedding of physical spaces uh, to begin to engage within, you know, virtual spaces, which then disintegrates, you know, this idea of uh, territoriality. And I'm thinking that this in itself is breeding sort of like a new way of engagement that transcends uh, divides, you know. And when, you're, when I'm thinking about divides, you know, I'm thinking about whatever that is, you know, whether it's 
uh, racism, you know, whether it's um, gender, uh, patriarchy, you know, and all of these many things, you know. So we have sort of like this new space that we've transitioned into. Uh, and I'm also thinking about uh, there's something also very instantaneous about the virtual space as well, where there's actually no room. Hardly do people actually go back to their previous posts, like on the day before, for example. Uh, people are always very active in the now. You know, they're consuming and they're producing within the now. So I'm thinking, you know, along those lines, and I'm thinking that in a way, we've kind of transitioned into sort of like this space which we have shared, you know, all our uh, previous um, sort of identities and social realities, and people are recreating and producing, you know, new social realities on the go. So in a way, we're all living in sort of like this very performative uh, existence at this point, you know, virtually. Uh, and I'm thinking that how uh, can this new reality engage in a way that we're not completely polarized, you know, because what you find uh, presently is like this idea of uh, there's no space of in-betweenness, and that in-between, there's no space to actually just sort of tread in the middle. You have either, you know, the extreme or you're this or you're that, you know. So what I'm thinking about is, uh, because artists in the old world have existed in that space of in-betweenness, you know, that space of uh, dialectical thinking, you know, that space that transcends abyssal thinking. And I'm thinking that that is actually something that we need to begin to think about cultivating um, uh, as some sort of, you know, modern reality, uh, a reality of a now where, you know, also as we're engaging, we're also allowing, uh, you know, the emergence of the indigenous uh, to come to, to being. Thank you, Jumoke. The last few months has definitely given us a lot to think about in terms of engaging with virtual space and what that means for all of these questions. Thank you so much for the conversation and bringing this discussion together. Thank you very much, Uda. Thank you both so much for your time. This has been a really rich and thought-provoking conversation and has opened up so many questions around archives and their potential. That's the end of today's conversation. The Archive of Forgetfulness project is co-curated by Huda Teob and Bongani Khona and is made possible with support from the Goethe Institute. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. The next episode will feature South African theatre maker Princess Mshlongo, Rwandan poet and storyteller Eric Wanki, and Sudanese digital storytelling curator and cultural manager Omnia Shokut. <laughs> <laughs>